Welcome to the Appalachian Baptist Network. We seek to equip, encourage, and engage pastors and church leaders in the Appalachian region. We focus on having conversations on church revitalization in the mountains and beyond. Your hosts are Matthew Jacobs, Brent Snyder, Jacob Gwynn, and Travis Tyler. Welcome back to the Appalachian Baptist Network. I'm your host today, and join with me again here are Brent and Jacob. Welcome back, guys. It's good to be back. Uh, today, we're going to be going to the next level on the Culture Apple, and we're going to be looking at the importance of church values and figuring out their value system. This is the next level in the Culture Apple that Malfurs gives the example of, the fleshy part of the apple. So this one's a little bit more deep than the first one we had. We had the shallow one already where we looked at the skin. We're going a little layer deeper here. And it is important that we kind of define what church values are. Malfer says this. He says that core values are the consistent, passionate, shared core beliefs that drive and guide the church. What do you guys think about that? Yeah, I mean, obviously I think uh, those values are the things that they're going to drive the church and the culture of the church. And so, it, you know, he talks about being constant and passionate. I think those are two good terms because um, passion in the sense that this is, you know, they are fervent about this. Um, and this is, you know, a deeply held belief, but constant because it's something that's always on the forefront of mind. Um, there's a lot of times that in churches we say that these, these are things that we value. We value evangelism, but, it's, but if we're honest, it's not really constant. Um, and there, are, and so I think there are things that are very constant and, and passionate that, that really drive up the culture of the church. So, yeah, I agree with that. And they're shared. I affirm that. <laughs> yeah, you affirm that. That's good. Yeah. Uh, and they are shared as well. Uh, you know, one of the things I think is interesting about this is that many churches may never have sat down and said, "Okay, guys, this is our core value, and this is our value system," or this is our overall driving value. And since we've talked about that, let's just talk about some examples of, of values or value systems that churches have and examples of maybe overarching one. You may, well, for this podcast, it may be helpful if you go back. We did an episode on types of churches and types of church cultures. And this is a little bit more expansive, I guess, in the one category where we define that on the overall type. So let, let's talk about what are some different types of values that we see, guys? kinds of values. You know, I think one of the things that uh, you might see, uh, I guess, a, a little bit more prevalent in, in Appalachian culture would be, I think, a sense of fellowship or kind of a, a family environment. And I don't think anybody sat down and there was no business meeting, there was no conversation about, we need to be uh, more of a family. I think it's, it's, you know, it's part and parcel because of, you know, who we are. We, we have families, but at the same time, it's rare that I meet a stranger that I don't have a you know good conversation with and just can strike up a conversation. So I think even when you, you look that deeper in, in regards to Christ's church and being brothers and sisters in Christ, I think there is this desire that there, there really is a good fellowship. People love each other as family and but no one had to no one had to deliberate, you know, there was no counsel to say, Hey, we need to we need to have better fellowship and this is a core value, but I just think it comes kind of natural. It should be noted here that the church's core value and value system may be different than the pastor's. Oh, yes. <laughs> uh, Brent, uh, can you give us another example of a value? I mean, I, I was thinking I was thinking along the lines of, uh, I don't know how to, uh, a learning or, uh, 
or studying, I guess you could say. Maybe doctrine or something like that? Yeah, doctrine. Do yeah, doctrine. Appreciate your, uh, appreciate <laughs> you cleaning me up there. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome, Clark. Uh, so let's let's explore this a little bit more. Uh, what what do we mean by that? You know, what what will be if the unifying value is like doctrine? I think that was part of the classroom type church. That's kind of a unifying value there. What what does that mean? Like what what is the church like really after? You think that this is their overarching value? I, I would say if it's if it's about doctrine or teaching, that uh, it's the idea of, of knowledge. Or a pursuit of knowledge, or, or knowing more about who God is, or about His Word, right? And so, I, I would I would say that even part of that culture is when people come to their Sunday school class or their small group, they're coming with their Bible and maybe a notebook and pencil in hand. That even times of worship and um, when it comes to preaching, they're they're taking notes, right? Uh, they may have more discussions after church about. Oh, what did you think about the pastor's point here, here, and here, right? And so I think that the, it, the drive is is a very different focus, right? Uh, they're they're there to learn, they're there to to grow per se. Then you've also got worship. I mean, some that uh, you know that may be a church that leans more towards uh, worship than doctrine. Uh, maybe maybe slightly more emotionally, more emotionally driven than intellectually driven. Yeah, I, yeah, definitely more experiential. I think. Yeah. Now let me let me throw a flag on the play here a little bit. So, uh, <laughs> you know, when I was in preaching class with Doctor York, he made a very important point. We don't want to make this out like you cannot engage the intellect or you cannot engage the emotion. Yeah. Really, yeah. God created us in such a way that we need engagement at an emotional and an intellectual level both, right? So, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, he and I think Dr. York talks about it in terms of the two gates that everybody has, an emotional and intellectual gate. But uh, in, an in an experiential church where the overall value is worship, there's going to be a whole lot more emphasis put on that. Uh, I can't remember the artist's name. There was a Christian artist. I think he's gone a little rogue now, but he wrote a song once that said, are you more in love with the Holy Spirit or the kick drum? You know, where it does that beat, you know, in the whole worship service. So I thought that was a, a helpful way to paint that. Uh, any others that come to mind? Well, I, you think of, uh, we may take a talk about like soul winning or, or maybe evangelistic or something. And so, uh, you know, the, the value there is you know we've got to get on doors or we've got to invite people you know there, there's you know there's not lots of conversation about doctrine there's not lots of conversation probably about you know the Holy Spirit's movement through worship or anything it's it's about we've got to win souls right and so uh, that's that's the forefront of mind that's the desire and there's and I think it's a good good value you know I want to make a comment about this because I think that there is some of this DNA in the church I pastor. And um, when we see this as a unifying value that's either unconscious or whatever, there is this concept that we constantly have to have harvest in everything we do as a church. Like it, it's always got to be somebody got saved at, you know, Trump or Treat or at, you know, whatever the event may be, or if we're just like going out in the community for like Covered Bridge Days, you know, like a community celebration. And I think that two things I want to say about this. Great expectation, right, that the Lord would do that. But I've never seen a farmer go to plow a field and plant seed and take a sickle to harvest at the same time. 
Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, if you, let's let's be honest. Like, not everything we do with a lost person is going to immediately result in a in a in a response salvation. I don't even think the Bible teaches that. I mean, yeah, because even even Paul says that some of you have have reaped the harvest even though you did not sow, right? Yeah. And some of you are sowing even though you'll never reap. And so, you know, I think sometimes this value, if it's understood incorrectly and unbiblically even, can can lead people to be very discouraged. You know, just because somebody didn't respond immediately to one interaction with you in the church doesn't mean God's not working in their heart. Yeah. And doesn't mean that he's going to bring that back around. Yeah. Yeah, I can get what you're saying, because I feel like sometimes, because the emphasis and, and maybe a, and, and I think there's a difference between talking about a soul-winning church and a church that's missional. So we'll, we'll clarify that. But, we'll do it to that um, next. but you know, soul-winning, sometimes uh, there can be such an emphasis, e- even towards a, towards a funeral, right? Where, you know, a pastor who, who might be a pastor of a soul-winning church you know, he's giving an invitation, and I give invitations from time to time at funerals, and it just kind of depends on, on part of the conversation with the family. But, but, but we've heard of invitations being given and, and being prolonged and prolonged and, and then thinking maybe somebody's going to walk up and then maybe they don't. Uh, I know we were joking about this the other day, but, uh, but I think that's part of that culture, right? Um, and so I think, uh, you know, sometimes in, in the soul-winning church, it's, you know, if, if an event or if something happened and somebody didn't, Pray to receive Christ, and it wasn't effective. Yeah, you'll see a lot of push and emphasis on altar calls. Yeah. Which, mm-hmm. BTW, by the way, have only been around about 200 years of the church. And we have how many years of church history? 2,000? <laughs> Are you sure about that? I think roughly. I don't know. Francis Chan recently uh, refuted that, but that's another Did question. He? Yeah, oh. that's, that's another podcast well, for another whatever day. whatever Francis Chan said, of course, right? <laughs> but... No, you know, and, and then the question becomes, well, how do people get saved before altar calls, right? Mm, I don't know. That's a, a good of, question. There's a lot of Christians there. And, and then you also got ancient Israelite history. I'm pretty sure they weren't running altar calls in ancient Israel. But, you know, maybe we should do a whole podcast about altar calls. Anyway, we got we got to shift gears. we got to shift gears. I'm See, not, I'm you, just not like, you just like to throw a bomb in there? I do. Let it explode and then just run away, right? I'm not I'm not mad at altar calls. I don't want people to hear this guy, Pastor Travis hates altar calls. <laughs> It's not like that. It's just that, you know, there was a time that it was it was useful. Um, I've got a book in my library over here by D.L. Moody, and it's from the end of the 1800s. And he says, you got to have an after meeting. If you don't have an after meeting, you're not going to have an ev- effective evangelistic ministry. Yeah. And, you know, 90% of people in a church today, maybe 99%, have no idea what an after meeting is. You know what? Do you guys know what yeah. it is? Well, I know um, yeah. Wesley when he would travel across, you know, the country and stuff like that. They would always have a couple day after meeting with other people. He would go on, mm-hmm. and other people would stay behind to uh, to, to really help people walk through uh, conversion and, and discipleship and initial first steps. And uh, but you know, Spurgeon talks about that idea of the, the counseling room, right? Mm-hmm. And other pastors early on in history would talk about instead of maybe an altar call, a counseling room. But that's a, another discussion for another day, right? Maybe we'll do a whole one on altar calls. We'll see. But my point being that the Holy Spirit has used different tools throughout the history of the church and God's people to bring about the spiritual change and salvation as he has best seen fit. 
Okay, so shifting gears, let's talk about another unifying value. And this may be a value that unfortunately is more aspirational than actual. So let's talk about what the difference between aspirational and actual is. Brent, why don't you fill us in on this? Yes, sir. Actual values are the values that your church actually has. Um, the aspirational values, well, let me put it this way. I think I think when you go to determine your church's values, um, you need obviously need to do so honestly and transparently, but you also need to consider what Scripture says the church's values should be. And many of the values we've already mentioned are laid out for us in Scripture, and so I'll just take, for example, our church is uh, is more doctrinally driven, and so uh, when when it comes to worship, like we were talking about a little bit ago, where you appeal to the emotional side of the person, sometimes we're very weak in that, and so it doesn't it doesn't mean that we don't need to be more worshipful, and it doesn't mean that it's bad that we are doctrinal, but we need to understand that yes, doctrine is a value of our church. And worship needs to be a value of our church. We categorize an aspirational value. Like this is who we are, and and, and and these are good values to have. We want to continue to nurture these and and care for these. But we also realize that Scripture would, would call us to be worshipful, and so um, more worshipful. And so we we have that as an aspirational value. Yeah, I think it's helpful. You know, I think there's every every church is going to have you know things that are our core value that are that are evident in their culture, but there's always going to be this desire, whether it's on on the, the pastor or, or even the, the church as a whole, to have things that they aspire to to be a value, right? I mean, there, there might be a, a church, you know, the, the value is, you know, we want to be a church that is missional, right? We're not currently missional, we recognize that, but, but this is our goal, and so we're trying to move in that, that direction, kind of slowly trying to move, you know, yard by yard, yeah, until we get to to the end zone, so to say, or inch by inch, or something. Or, or inch by inch, in in a lot of cases. Yeah. Uh, so, I, I think that now we need to shift gears here. So in revitalization, we're dealing with not creating culture, but reshaping culture. Mm. And in order to reshape a culture, you got to know where you are and where you where you need to go. And then we're talk we're having a conversation now about alignment. In the, bringing those things and reshaping them into alignment. What, what are some things that we can do to help, you know, with unifying value and and how we how we help the church shift gears, so to speak, towards maybe? Well, first of all, what is a missional value? What does it look like? And then how do we how do we shift towards that? So let's 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 work out it that way. Yeah, obviously, it helps knowing where your your church is, right? I know. Personally, I think about uh, the church I serve at Calvary. You know, Brent talked about his church is very, you know, probably more doctrinally sound or in that direction. And so, for me, I, I would say Calvary, we're, we're leaning that we lean that direction. There's definitely a love for the Word and studying God's Word, and so that's helpful, right? Because if if I'm trying to lead our church to be more missional minded, right, or or trying to to lead us to having you know, embracing more of a, a value of, of worship and the leading of the Holy Spirit in that. One of the things that's helpful is being able to, to look to God's Word and be able to preach that and teach that, but then just kind of transparently apply that. Um, and, and knowing that that's not going to happen through one sermon. Uh, that's going to have to take time of, of not just only teaching that, but, but also as, as I'm seeking to invest in people, right? So investing in core leaders, whether that's 
deacons or, or other leaders or maybe a, a group of, of men that you are discipling, but trying to teach that value, but then also model it and apply it to their lives and so that you're, you're slowly building culture. It's not going to happen overnight. I mean, I joke with our people all the time that, uh, you know, godliness doesn't happen overnight, right? Mm. Um, and so you have to, as Paul what says, about to train you get, yourself for godliness. What about getting resaved? Well, that... Yeah, that's, that's another discussion. Maybe like for, a beam me up, Scotty. Type yeah, that's not going to. Yeah, not not quite the same thing okay. for sure. So sanctification doesn't come overnight, and so trying to lead a church towards towards growing in its culture or or reshaping its culture is going to take time. Right? It takes teaching. It takes modeling. It takes applying, uh, and it takes a lot of prayer. Yeah, just to follow up on that. You know, and it's really what you were getting at, Jacob. But use values that you already. To values that you you want to have, you know. So, like for a for a church who who um, they had one of their core values to be fellowship, you know, another biblical value, I think. But um, maybe maybe they're not so sound in doctrine. You know, figure out ways to fellowship around the word, um, and as as a church, and, and hopefully that would that would strengthen the value of doctrine in your church. And you can you can think of ways to do that with, with all the values, but. In order to get to your aspirational values, leverage the value of your actual values. Yeah, so so a good example, a church I previously had served at compared to where I'm at now, the value would not have been doctrine, it would have been fellowship, right? Mm-hmm. And so every, I mean, we gathered for, for everything under the sun, and, and it was great, don't get me wrong, I, I loved it. And so realizing that, uh, what that meant is that every time we gathered for something, we would take time to teach about something. I would take time to intentionally teach something. Or, at the same time, knowing that uh, our church loved to, to gather in fellowship, you know, we invited people into our home. And so we took time to get to know them individually, but then we also took time to, to talk about the, the church and, and things they value there and, and leading in a certain direction. So knowing that that was that value that the church held to, it helped to shape and lead towards other things. Just like now, um, I, I would say doctrine is kind of a, a core value and, and a love for the word, and so using that to kind of shape uh, other values. So I think it's it's helpful, like you were saying, knowing your values that you're good at, and utilizing that to help you grow in other core values. On on this issue too, I think that we need to talk about the importance of a lead person that's kind of modeling what the aspirational value is. And I'm I'm going to go ahead and use this. I'm going to. Trademark this, so if you try to steal my, my word, I may write a book on this one day. I'm going to say you need borrowed leadership from other leaders, too. Mm-hmm. You need to bring them along and help them to understand where you are. Uh, you know, there was years ago, there was a commercial, I don't know if you guys remember, it was E.F. Hunt, or, or, or E.F. Hutton, E.F. Hutton, I think is this guy's name. And uh, E.F. Hutton, you know, everybody, he walks in a room, he starts speaking, everybody stops what they're doing, and I think it said there, uh, when E.F. Hutton, who was an investment broker, speaks, people listen. And so, you know, you got an E.F. Hutton somewhere in your church, and you, you really need to uh, get with them and, and help them to see the importance of this unifying value that you're aspiring to. And uh, so, you know, I think those are very, very crucial. You're, you're not going to change the culture of a church by yourself. If you're trying to lead by yourself and do by yourself, you're really just a guy taking a walk because the congregation is so far behind you, you can't even see them. Yeah, so. I would agree. I, I think, I think that is one of the key things about revitalization that I think so many guys miss is 
you know, it's easy for us to put systems in place and put values in, thing, in place and have our mission statement and trying to, to move, the, move the ball forward. But I think we can do that by ourselves, and we're just kind of on a walk and people are far behind us. But um, finding those key leaders, you know, because oftentimes uh, it may not be the thing that's said from the pulpit that encourages the church to move in a direction. It's something that is modeled by a, a member that you have had the time to spend with and encourage. And oftentimes, you know, if we're getting ready to cast vision or talk about something, uh, there, there's a handful of people that I will go ahead and kind of share with, and they're already talking about it. And so before anything ever comes up, uh, these people I've already talked with other people in the church and trying to kind of getting people to get ownership of it because I think I think you've got to borrow other leaders that, that people trust and have known and, and value their opinion from. Malfers frames how values play out with using the words function and forms. Hmm. And he says function or functions and this is his definition, the church's values are functions and what he means by that, they're timeless, unchangeable, non negotiable because they're based on scripture. And he says forms are timely, changing, and negotiable because they're based on a culture and not scripture. The forms are not values, but they express the values. Now, the way I say the same thing Malfords is saying is I will often tell my people that there is principle and practice. So you have biblical principles, you know, and I think that values would fall in the category of biblical principles, and then you have practice. And sometimes we get in trouble because we mistake practice for principle, right? Yeah. Uh, what are some examples of that? Or mistaking form for function in Malfur's language. Yeah. Uh, I appreciate your language better. Yeah, I think mine's easier to <laughs> yeah. remember. Uh, I, I, think, uh, I think most people would, would agree with that. So let's just frame it under practice and principle. So mista or, uh, mistaking the practice for the principle. Yeah, I think uh, it, it's easy for us to, uh, to get the two mixed together or, or conflate, you know, uh, the practice, right? So principle, it's easy to, to pull things from Scripture and say that this is a principle or command from Scripture as opposed to something we've added to, right? Um, and so you think, you know, I think a podcast or two ago, we, we joked about dress and the behavior, right? And so it can be real easy to say that uh, a certain way that you dress in church is a principle of the church rather than a practice, right? right? And so equating them of the same value. And there's, I mean, there's a hundred other things that we could could discuss just on that. Well, you know, it becomes uh, legalistic in some areas. We sure. didn't really get into this in the last one, but I'll go ahead and bring it up since we got a few minutes here before we got to close out. the The church schedule is a is a practice. So uh, a lot of people may not know this, but Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. And really, it's four things. Sunday school is usually attached to that, too. That is known as Three to Thrive. It was a 1920s campaign to keep with the principle of do not forsake the gathering together of one another in Hebrews, what is it, chapter 13? So, but a lot of people think, well, if you don't go to church in a formal worship service three times a week, you are in sin, Right? Because they've mistaken the practice for the principle. Now, don't get me wrong. One of the good things it delivers is it does give a regular basis for the church to meet, but it doesn't necessarily have to do that. And so you can sometimes see, you know, there may be actual values 
that are good, but their function or principle has, you know, some bad consequences to it because they've mistaken one for the other. All right, well, we're about out of time on this episode. Any closing thoughts, guys, on values and value systems of church? I think that about covered it. <laughs> Hopefully, I'm all of it, right? Yeah, I hope so. All right, join us next time. We're going to look at uh, core beliefs next episode, and I uh, hope you'll be able to join us next time. You have been listening to the Appalachian Baptist Network. Thanks for joining us. If you have a question or comment for our host, please send an email to Appalachian Baptist Network at gmail.com or send us a voice message on our Anchor website page at anchor.fm slash Appalachian dash Baptist dash network. Join us again next Monday.